Hello and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the fishing community since 2003, bringing fishing reports, fishing news, fishing, fishing information, as well as fishing schools and fishing tournaments. And now we're very excited to bring this new and popular Saltwater Podcast Series. In this series, we invite in our friendship, our local guides and captains who fish up and down the North Carolina coast with the goal of providing information to help you guys catch more fish more often. But really the goal is just to get you out on the water, spending more time more often on the water and making those memories. Today I'm joined by Captain Jim Sabella of Plan 9 Charters out of Topsail. Jim's gonna to be talking to us about making Spanish mackerel fishing easy. So an easy approach to Spanish mackerel fishing. We're also gonna have a segment in there where we talk about getting kids involved. And uh, looking forward to talking to him. Before we get to him, I would like to introduce to you my co-host in this endeavor, Billy Thorpe. Hey, Billy. What's going on, Gary? Good to see you, man. Yeah, man. It's good to be back together, back in the studio. And, uh, you know, I have an upcoming, I'm going to plug myself here. Fisherman's Post has an upcoming Spanish mackerel tournament on June 12th to 14th, a very kid-friendly event. So Spanish mackerel is on my mind. I take my kids fishing in that tournament every year. And uh, I'm very curious to hear what Sabella has to say about Spanish mackerel fishing. You're going to learn a thing or two, Gary. You're going to learn a thing or two. When, can you win your own tournament? <laughs> I don't know if I can win my own tournament. I think people like me okay, but if I were to win my own tournament, it might challenge those friendships slash acquaintances. Oh, man. Yeah, I bet that would be a challenge. If I was fishing against you, that would be a challenge for me if you won. It seems like there's a protest somewhere in there. <laughs> Oh, man, that is hilarious. Well, dude, before uh, we move on, I want to give a little shout-out to Marine Warehouse Center. Thank you guys so much for making this episode possible. Um, actually got a little 25, 26-second spot. We want to play for those guys right up front here. So take a look at this, or if you're listening, take a listen. This is Robbie at Marine Warehouse Center, and we're excited to announce that we are the exclusive North and South Carolina sailfish dealer. Sailfish offers an offshore capable boat with tons of family friendly features. Whether you're a hardcore offshore fisherman or you just want to island hop, Sailfish can do it all. Once again, another great commercial by those guys, man. Good job. I like that commercial. I do miss Emmett's cameo appearance, though, <laughs> which makes it a little harder for me to segue into a little known fact about Emmett, one of the owners of Marine Warehouse. Oh, so you still have one though, right? I you still have one. one. And I'll right. tell you what, it's, it's crazy how, how this works out. We'll call it maybe the laws of the universe. Emmett's first saltwater fish was a Spanish mackerel. First saltwater um, fish he ever caught. Yeah, I gotta, I, don't know. I think is I gotta that, come up with the truth. Fact? Like I'm making this yeah. up. <laughs> maybe it's true. And I think this feature would be better if every now and then I actually said something true. <laughs> because if they're always not true, then I don't see the, in the intrigue. I'm going to come uh -huh. back next time with an actual fact. 
Speaking about next time, just want to share this slide really quick with you. Uh, this is where we you can listen to or watch our podcast. Uh, where you can listen to it on Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else the podcasts are available. If we're not on there, be sure to let us know, and we will submit our podcast to be on there. And also, if you rather watch, you can watch on our YouTube channel. Uh, just be sure to subscribe and share those uh, with your friends, family. Word of mouth is the best way to help us promote the Fisherman's Post if you like what we're doing on the podcast. Are we doing a photo? Do we have a photo oh, feature for today? I do have a photo feature. Right here is Don Meyer from Havelock, North Carolina with a red drum caught on live bait in the Cape Fear River. All right. So, man, good-looking fish there. Uh, a lot of red drum being caught right now. So We love getting time. photos. Please send us your photos. Fisherman's Post never complains about getting too many fish photos. Photos, videos, and then, anybody. And then as another thing as I get ready to transition back to or transition to Jim Sabella, Remember, Billy, a reminder, Billy, I'm oh, looking for right. Billy's best takeaway at the end of this podcast. What Sabella has said that you think is the best takeaway from this episode. All right. Got my pen handy. All right. So Captain Jim Sabella of Plan 9 Charters out of the Topsail area. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Billy. I appreciate being here and uh, look forward to the opportunity to be to sh share some information with you about uh uh, Spanish mackerel fishing. Well, before we let you share information on Spanish mackerel fishing, I've got a very important question, and that is, why should we listen to anything you have to say about a Spanish mackerel? Okay. So for 20 years, I've been running charters out of the Cape Fear area, and for most of my uh, clients, I mean, Spanish mackerel fishing is one of our most prolific and available fish to them. Well, right. Um, I've fished with you. I've Spanish mackerel fished with you. So it's kind of like I knew the answer to my own question, but I was obligated to have you state your one to two sentence resume here at the beginning of the episode. And before we get into, again, before we get into making Spanish mackerel fishing easy with a focus on preparation, location, tactics, and then again, I'm excited about a section we're going to include on getting kids involved. Um, we have another feature in the podcast, and it's the two-question feature. These are non-fishing-related questions. Are you ready, Jim? I'm ready. Jim, what went wrong with plans one through eight? Uh, they just failed. <laughs> but plan nine was a good one. Plan nine was the plan that worked. And second question, what can we expect from plan 10? Uh, there shouldn't be a plan 10. <laughs> Any boat from now on is plan nine. All right. Jim, I think we decided, you decided preparation was where we begin this segment on making Spanish mackerel fishing easy. So tell me about getting set up for a successful day on the water. So getting set up for a successful day on the water, preparation is always the key. Uh, the night before, I like to get all my gear ready. I have some gear here, you know, the type of rods we use. Uh, you know, live bait style rods with uh, high gear ratio reels. Um, I've got some spinning rods that I keep. Standard six and a half, seven foot rod and reel with a uh, 15 pound test. I keep all these on board. We can use these to help us both with spin fishing and uh, uh, casting and trolling. So I like to have usually four rods ready for trolling and four rods ready for casting. That way, if something happens, I've got another rod ready to go, and I can uh, get just put it right into action. Uh, the, the, the gear is simple. Uh, we carry 
deep diving plugs, the good old Clark spoon and, uh, planer combinations, uh, casting jigs, little diamond jigs, uh, small casting lures, usually lightweight, but small. And then for fun and for excitement, something that's going to be up on top so that we can keep the people interested in it. Uh, so usually like a Spanish daisy chain or some sort of bird type uh, uh, operation. And those I'll have rigged and ready to go before I uh, even get out on the boat on the water. So they're ready to go as soon as I get my people on the on the boat. Uh, this is one of those types of things that can be as interactive as everybody wants to be. I want everybody to get involved on, on a trip. So I want to, I teach my people, I teach people all the time how to set the lines, how to do those things. And so that we can, uh, you know, we can get everybody involved. Um, <clears throat> the first thing I look at is when I go out, I have a plan all the time. Uh, usually it's depends on the tide. Uh, if I'm going out an inlet, uh, what I like to do is if it's an outgoing tide, I'll go look for the color change or the tide line. And that is where I'll start. Uh, because what that is, is that's the, on an outgoing tide, you have the water that's from the waterway and the river, whatever your inlet happens to be pushing out into that and mixing with that ocean water. But because they're not uh, the same uh, density, there's usually where those two waters meet, there's a definite line. Uh, and that's where I like to start. Let me ask a question on that. So what's the inlet that you like to fish out of most? Uh, it's tough. I mean, Masonboro and Topsail are my two okay. favorite inlets to, to fish out of. But, and you know, on, this works at any inlet. And on this, on this tie line, like, Typically, how far out of the inlet, you know, are you finding? And I know it varies, but that's why I'm kind of emphasis is on typical. Well, typically, as the tide uh, turns, it starts close to the mouth of the inlet and works its way out as uh, the uh, as the tide drops. And this can, I mean, this tide line can push anywhere from, you know, 200, 300 yards out of the inlet all the way to a mile offshore. Okay. So it's just, a, it's, it's basically a way to find some structure where there's might not be any existing. Okay. So, well, right on, man. I didn't mean to interrupt the flow. That was good information. So your first plan is to sort of look for that tide line. Take, pick us up where we, where we, where you left us off. So the way that you find that tide line is, you know, that it's going to be going out of that inlet. So, you want to just you can just cruise out the inlet and head towards the you know the furthest reaches of the inlet and as you find it you can start to work it a lot of times there'll be like a foam line or you know a, a scum line where you know stuff is because the two lot waters are meeting up together sometimes there'll be li little bits of debris on it like weeds um you know, uh, gra seagrass stuff that's coming out of the inlet and it gets stopped on that one point. So that's where I like to start. 
And I also like to take into account which way the wind is coming. Because if I'm going out the inlet straight and the wind is coming, say, from my right side, it's going to push that tide to my left because it's got the, the wind is pushing that. So I like to make sure that I know which way. That way I can sort of figure out where the whole line is. You're going to work both sides of that line? You're going to work the inside edge and the offshore edge? And, or which side, how do you decide which side to start? Well, I generally, once I find it, I generally just, I'm, I'm looking for bait. I'm looking for, I'm watching my, my machine for bait. I'm watching my bait, my machine for fish. I have my clients or the people that are with me watching for jumping fish. Uh, and then I just want to go like uh, perpendicular to it. And I'll just go perpendicular and drag my, uh, my gear one way and then back the other. But a lot of times the fish are facing into the current. So I'm going to make sure that like I'm not bringing my I want to bring my lure to the fish facing the current, not over those fish because bait fish generally don't attack big fish. So I want to bring that that lure towards the fish, not away from the fish. And then what happens is, is that the fish will figure out that you know, it's coming, it's going past them and then they'll come up to attack. Okay, man. I follow that. So we're, we're looking for a tide line. We're starting there. Of course, you've got everyone interactive looking for other signs of, you know, places to target. You're including your machine, the surroundings. What is the typical spread that you'll put out? Like a starting spread, a standard spread. So usually I'll fish two planers. Uh, I use either clock spoons uh, you can use baby drone spoons. You can use a lot of different things. I like to start small in the in. I always have like the smallest size, like usually like a double O Clark spoon, uh, because the bait that you usually the Spanish are feeding on is very very small. Uh, the reason why we use the planer is because it's the best way to get this little spoon down deep. Um, this is a number one planer. I use, usually I'll start out with one on each side of the boat. And one of the things that I like to do is I like to explain the way that I set the lines because I find that this way we can set those lines without worry of, of, of tangling. So what I do is I always set my starboard line with a, five count one two three four five now i emphasize the count because when we get later into talking about kids fishing kids and adults count differently if you want to think of like a like an adult count it's a one mississippi a kid's five count is one five all right. I, follow, I follow that. So that's one of the things. And I, you know, I recently had a, had a, had a, had a, had a teenager on my boat and, you know, his father was setting one line out and he was setting the other line out. And I kept, it's like, that's three. And he's like, no, I counted to 10. I said, well, I counted to three. And so we had to get the Mississippi or whatever you want to use for a placeholder. So I set one line out with my planer at five and one line out with a planer at a 10 count. That way I can turn. 
I can make a turn as hard as I would like to and is, you know, and be able to keep those lines apart. So after I set those two lines, Hey, let me, let me, cause this is an interesting point and I think I want to make sure that it, it resonates. So with one line at a five count and another line at a 10 count, how long of a leader are you using from the planer to the spoon? So I use a approximately 20 foot leader. All right. It's, if you, if you see how I have it, I have a small piece of wire and then I have a ball bearing swivel. I always use ball bearing swivels. This Why? is because this spoon is very violent and spins really, really hard. And a ball bearing swivel keeps this line from getting all twisted up. What's the point of the wire to the ball bearing swivel? What that does is when I set this out, I don't have to worry about my swivel coming back and getting caught on my planer. Okay. This keeps it away from my planer and okay. it makes it so that it it keeps it nice and straight. You see, if that if you don't, a lot of times that'll get hooked on your planer and then it won't spin and okay. it won't work. So I do about 20 feet. And I do it pretty simple. One, two, three, and then about a half. And that's my leader. What do you use for leader material? 20-pound test. Uh, if you find you're not getting bites, you can go to fluorocarbon. But I find that just a 20-pound clear mono uh, works fine for... A leader and so to go back to the five count and the ten count so a five count rod with 20 feet of leader coming off the back won't be able to touch the beginnings of the 10 foot count which would be the planer and that's the strategy there so that you can turn left or right because you've spread them out enough to where there's not going to be an overlap no matter which way you turn is that, is that the correct approach? That's the correct approach. All right. Hey, one last question on uh, tying that spoon. Are we worried about what knot that is? Does it have to be like a loop knot to give it, a, to give it some movement, or can it just be a, like a cinch knot? I just do a cinch knot. If you like a palomar, you can do a palomar. If you like whatever knot you tend to, tend to uh, find that you can do easily, and uh, especially when you have to change spoons on the boat, something that you're comfortable with. It's not the time to learn new knots. Um, maybe, maybe move, give us a quick de demo of that planer, like the idea of setting that planer and, and then take me trolling down that tide line. Okay. So when the planer is, this is the planer trip. This right here, this uh, gold ring goes to your uh, line on your reel and, and rod. And this is the way it looks when it's tripped. When it's ready to be set, it goes at the top of this triangle. And now that's ready to set. When you set this out, you'll feel a lot of pressure on it and you'll, it'll take line out very easily. Uh, when you, you set it back that five count, I always leave the clickers on. Uh, because that way I know line's going out. I always, I always, in fact, when I have my clients or, you know, people on board reeling in, I tell them to leave the clicker on because I want to hear the line going out and coming in. 
So that right there is set. Uh, the spoon before is just, I just throw it back out of the boat. Usually it loops right out there. I'll, I'll let it go through my hands so I don't get any loops in the, in the, the, uh, the leader. And then it's ready to go. Go down five count, go down 10 count. Real simple and easy to set. And what, at what speed are you trolling? And for a number one planer at that speed, what kind of depth do you expect to gain off of that trolling speed with a number one planer? So I troll usually between uh, four and a half to five and a half knots. Uh, I like to troll a little bit faster because if there's a lot of bluefish around, the, the faster you troll, the less chance they have of getting on. They're not as aggressive as the Spanish, and the Spanish like a, a more speed. Uh, with a number one planer, you're getting down about 10, 12 feet. Uh, and, you know, with your leader out there, uh, you know, your leader's probably pulling, you're probably pulling down close to that 10 to 12 feet. Uh, the funny thing about planers is, when you get too far out, they actually start to come up. So more than like a, you know, a 10 or a 15 count, even if you feel like you want to, you know, you're really not getting the full uh, depth of the planer. Will the five count or the 10 count planer troll deeper? They'll troll usually about the same depth. Okay. I find a lot of times that when one gets hit, if the fish are plentiful, the next one gets hit right after it. Usually the five count gets hit first because that's the one that goes over the fish first. And then the 10 count gets done. And now those fish have started to come up. And then generally they'll start to, if you've got stuff up top, you know, they'll go after the stuff up top. And did you say perpendicular? You mean you're crossing the tide line? You're going from the offshore line to the inshore and then back and forth in that way? Is And are you truly doing like that zigzag down and then just <coughs> turn it and bring it back? Again, I know you said... One current is ideal, but one direction is ideal depending on the direction of the current. Well, once I find about where the fish are, then I'll start to modify my, uh, my, um, my plan on how I'm going across. If you don't have a lot of boat traffic, uh, then you can sort of spread out. And what I'll start to do is, yes, I'll start to zigzag. Um, a lot of times you find that when you're going in one direction, you know, the tide line, you pass over that tide line, it might be 30 feet behind you when you get hit. You might be 100 feet behind you when you get hit. So what you're doing is you're dragging those fish from that edge to where they're, uh, they're finally getting up to where they can make the hit. Then I'll modify. I might then start, if I have the room, I might start to go in a in a s pattern up and down the edge of that tide line because once you find that edge you just got to adjust to where it's moving as the current comes out but usually those fish will stay along that edge so if we're if we're trolling we're finding fish then i think most people get it like hey keep doing what you're doing if it's working but what if it's not working so what if you know, we're following this advice. We seem to be in the right zone and it's not working. When, it, what is the thought process? Like for instance, Clark spoons come in, I don't know how many colors, you know, and how many different sizes, how much time do you invest in changing out the offerings versus 
man, there's no fish here. We need to go somewhere else. Well, I'm also looking for those other signs. I'm looking for the fish on my scope. I'm, I've got the people looking for fish jumping. If I don't start to see after about 20 minutes, uh, then it's time to start looking to do something else. If you, if you burn too much time, one of the things that I am not is I will not troll two hours in a spot hoping that the fish finally get hungry. I'm going to go move to the fish. That's why, you know, the beauty of having a boat. And not only that, it keeps the people uh, excited, you know. So now I'm going to start looking other places. Uh, as the season goes on, um, the fish tend to go into different water depths. So I might work my way in and start going over different water depths, maybe starting out there at like 40 feet working my way into 20 feet. Then I also look in places that I've caught fish before. Uh, usually uh, I like to look at landmarks on land because we're right outside the off of shore. We don't have to rely so much on our scope to find us a rock or a, a ledge or something like that. We can sit there and use a pier as reference, uh, a hotel, a house with a bright, um, a bright roof, you know, those are the things that I like to use for different, uh, points of reference. So experience is the biggest teacher. If I remember that last June, I was fishing off Johnny Mercer's pier in 35 feet of water and catching Spanish. I'm going to go back to Johnny Mercer's pier 35 feet of water and start working that area looking for the same types of things. So I'm going to, you know, use my experience and, you know, I'm also going to look at other boats, what they're doing. I'm going to be looking for birds. I'm going to be looking for fish, you know, one bird dipping and going on top of the water might be all that you need to find the mother load of fish being right under them. You know, so that's why, like, I always have my my clients because it's much better to have four sets of eyes looking than just me looking for those things. And that's how you, everybody gets involved, looking for birds, looking for a splash, looking for a Spanish jumping out of the water. Just something that'll make me want to work in that direction. When you start that troll, I mean, uh, I mean, that's a. I like that answer to go back to sizes and colors. Are there a couple of colors that you start the day with a couple of colors you believe in more than other colors? And again, is there any scenario like if the fish are there, they're going to bite. It doesn't matter the color of the size. Uh, I definitely uh, like to start off, especially in the early part of the year with uh, the smallest spoons, like the double O's. Right. Um, because the bait is smaller, they're younger. Um, and I like pink, uh, silver, uh, pink flash. This is a uh, silver spoon with a pink flash. And uh, I like gold. Uh, gold tends to work in uh, shallower water a lot better than it does in deeper water for me. And it tends to work a lot better in a little off color water than in clean water but i like to usually i'll have like a gold on one side and a uh pink on the other 
Any idea why the I'm intrigued. Any idea? Have you given any theory to why the gold works better in the shallower water? Uh, I think that it shows up better um, and that it gives a little bit better uh, flash. And I like to make sure that it's shiny. And a lot of times after you've used it once, it'll get a little uh, dull. So I'll actually uh, polish it up with a little uh, like uh, steel wool. All right. Um, what I, I think where I'm going to put direct you now is I want to talk a little bit more about that uh, daisy chain. You mentioned something about, you know, it being a visual, you know, reference point for your anglers, giving them something to look at, you know. So talk about that as, I guess, like a third line option or something that you would use. Um, and I, I don't see us going too much into casting today. I mean, I think we're covering great ground yeah. on trolling. and We probably just stay focused on trolling. So talk about the daisy chain. Any other options that you might employ as it comes to trolling for Spanish mackerel? And then once we cover that, I think we head into our, hey, the best way to get kids involved and to get them, you know, happy and wanting, you know, wanting more. Okay. So the Spanish daisy chain being one of the, is a great tool for keeping people uh, in, in engaged. You can have them watching this. It stays up on top. I like to pull it at a place where they can still see it and watch it. It's going to splash on the top. Uh, it'll, it'll go in all sorts of direction and it's really exciting when a fish hits it. A lot of times, you know, the fish will come up on this and they'll skyrocket out of the water and miss it. And sometimes that's as much excitement as them actually hitting it and taking it. So, I really like anything that works up top, especially when the fish are really, really hungry and really, really excited, uh, because then it really gives the people a show, uh, keeps people on something, keeps them involved. I also, you know, when I troll the rods are bent over, they've got a good bend in them. Um, I like to have a, a nice bend in them. So when the fish hits, they get a good, uh, they get a good reaction and they'll see the rod come up. Uh, then I'll use stuff up on the top with like a, with like a Yozuri deep diver or even a shallow diver, something that can get a few feet below the surface and, you know, bring up the fish for Spanish. I like a small size. And sometimes as the summer goes on, they make this, uh, the Yozuri deep diver in a bigger lure I'll sometimes pull that bigger lure because you get a chance at either a bigger Spanish or there's a lot of king mackerel uh, that that chase after the Spanish and giving them a little bit bigger uh, a little bit bigger target might catch you like a you know another exciting fish that gives you a, you know a, a surprise and you know a little bit more excitement too. Man, uh, so with a kid on a boat, I'm I'm thinking you know I. I could go with several directions with the question, but what about like, you got a fish on most of the kids, are they fighting the fish with the rods, like a planer rod I'm talking about with the rod still in the rod holder. Do you pull it out, have them fight it sort of stand up style. And is it like the same kid that reels in ultimately hand lines in the fish? Like, you know, what's your, what's your advice there? So I always like to take the rods out of the rod holder. Uh, if they, when they take them out of the rod holder, if the fish should go over, you know, if the fish is a little bit bigger fish and it starts to pull them over to the side where the other rod is, I can control them. Uh, I can have a move plus, 
usually what I like them to do is I like them to reel up the fish and depending on their, their, how comfortable they are, either if it's, if it's a couple kids, I might have one kid working as the, the hand line guy and one guy working as the, uh, as the, uh, the rod man. And what I'll have him do is fight it, stand up and then step back a little so he can bring that planer to the other kid and that other kid can grab the leader and hand line it in the rest of the way and then let him trade off. Now, if you've got just one kid, you know, I let them do that all themselves if they like to, or, you know, usually they'll have like another, you know, like a parent or, you know, another, another person on the boat and let them do it. Uh, I like to get them involved as possible. Um, I like to have them setting the lines back. Um, I like to have them looking, uh, you know, they, they, the, the kids, the kids love the action. Uh, one of the things that, you know, you, you can't, you know, you can't do is you can't, you, you cannot not do is give them too much because they want to be in the, the height of the action. And I want them to sit there and do those things. I can do those things, but I'd much rather have the kids do it. Uh, and enjoy the day, and you know uh, it's it's a little bit when they're, when they're hand lining the fish, you have to explain to them that you don't want to wrap the leader around their hands because I don't want that fish, especially you know those, those if you get one of those bigger fish, if you catch like a you know, false albacore or something that's got a little bit more horsepower to it, I don't want them getting that line wrapped around their hand. So I have them pulling the line in hand over hand so that they're not getting that line wrapped around their hands. And I just simply let them let it fall down on my seat that's there at the back of the boat so that when the line goes back out, all they need to do is just throw the spoon back over the side. One thing I like not to do is uh, once the fish is in the boat, I usually like to take them off the hook. Spanish, kings, all those fish have uh, pretty nasty teeth and I'm a lot better uh, captain than I am first aid. All right. Hey, um, it, it came to mind uh, a question I meant to ask before we got to it. So we're trolling and we get a hookup. We, we get a bite on one of the planer rods. It trips. You know, the kids identify it. We start fighting that fish. How long do you keep trolling at four and a half to five and a half miles per hour? You know, do you put it in idle? Do you pull, pull back on the gas? Like, what do you do when you have that hookup? Okay. If it's a fish that's not taking drag... Uh, a smaller fish, I continue to go at my speed. I don't slow down. Uh, the reason is it keeps the line tight and it's not doing, I don't need to do any uh, maneuvering or anything like that. Plus, I keep doing that speed. Obviously, that speed worked. We might get a chance for a multiple hookup. A lot of times you get one fish on. And then you wait a few seconds and the other rods go off. So I like to keep going. I want to get multiple hookups because the more things going on, the more the level of excitement, you know. And I, you know, uh, Spanish mackerel fishing to, a, a, you know, a, a somebody 10, 11 years old, never been out fishing. It can be, you know, it's there. It's just as exciting as a marlin hookup to somebody like me or Gary or Billy who's been out fishing for years. So, you know, you, you, I want to make it fun. And it's, you know, you know, I usually call like fish on, you know, and then if another rod two on, you know, you know, and I'll call out, you know, planer, you know, 
other planer goes off, I'll say, uh, you know, T-top, you know, so they know where they are. And I want to get that multiple hookup because then it gets more exciting. But one fish on, keep trolling. Uh, two fish on, if, if there's, you know, enough people on the boat, I'll keep going just because I want to get another hookup. Uh, if that fish does, if I get a hookup and that line buries and starts t peel and drag, then I'll usually slow the boat down so I can uh, I can work that person to get them to the side of the boat, possibly bring up another line depending on how uh, how that fish is taking line. Again, one thing I always explain to people: there's no fences in the ocean. Uh, it's just as possible to hook up on that Yozuri. Uh, a cobia and uh and and have a, a spanish on the other line uh a big king you know there's nothing that stops those fish from being there so you know i like to keep the i like to keep my everything in the water as long as possible because i want something to uh something else to come on there i mean solid how about this how about because i think we i think this has been a, a home run podcast how about final thoughts on either making Spanish mackerel fishing easy or final thoughts on getting kids involved in offshore fishing via Spanish mackerel fishing. Some final thoughts there. And then I'm going to steer you to talk about your uh, calendar year. Okay. So really quick, I want everybody involved. I enjoy the people doing all the things I can do them all. I've done them for a large part of my life, but Getting kids involved in offshore fishing with Spanish mackerel fishing, it's sort of a primer. It gets them to understand the mechanics. And the same thing for an adult. This is the mechanics of saltwater fishing. It's a lot. It, it gives you a fish that's prolific when they're hungry. Uh, you know, they can, they can give you a lot of fun. And you can put some fish in the freeze, you know, some fish on the table for a meal. So it's... It gives you the three things. It gives you excitement. It gives you the, uh, the, the mechanics. And the biggest thing, it gives you a payoff in, you know, the meals. So three things that I feel are really, really important about getting people involved in offshore fishing. Right on, man. Plan 9 Charters is certainly more than Spanish mackerel fishing. So give me a, a quick walk through the calendar year for Plan 9 Charters. So we start off fishing. We'll fish uh, 12 months out of the year. Usually in the wintertime, we're fishing in the Cape Fear River for stripers and drum and possibly doing some offshore bottom fishing. Uh, usually it starts to really kick into gear about April. Uh, the Atlantic Bonito show up, uh, and uh, they're a lot of fun. They're a little tuna that uh, tastes good and gives you a lot of excitement. Then as the summer goes on, we start to key in on the, on the Spanish mackerel, king mackerel, mahi-mahi, all the stuff that is available to us within 20 miles of shore. We can go further, but, you know, that's really the, 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 the area that really works the best. Um, we do a lot of uh, bottom fishing. Uh, as, the, as the summer goes on, we'll go do a lot more uh, grouper fishing, sea bass fishing, snapper fishing, you know, the, and, uh, gives us the, uh, the, the, the full run of the year. Uh, I generally fish offshore. Uh, I, I can go, I like fishing in the river for stripers and, 
and uh, Red Drum. Um, but my boat is mostly geared towards the near shore, Spanish Kings, all those things. But we've got a full year of fishing, and right now is the best time in the in this time to get going because there's so many species available, so many species coming in, and you know, and then you know just get out there. Right on. Longtime friend, Captain Jim Sabella of Plan 9 Charters out of the Topsail area. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate you having me here. Billy. Gary, what's up, man? <laughs> we are now smarter about catching Spanish mackerel, making it easy, getting kids involved. All right. And we are. And so that brings me <laughs> to the Billy best takeaway. Well, I'm kind of, I'm, uh, you know, I don't really steal spots. I don't have a boat to go steal the spot. However, uh, Captain Jim did mention Johnny Mercer's Pier at 35 feet of water. So I wrote that down. I'm like, there's got to be some truth in there. All right. <laughs> um, but I do have a quick question for, for you, Captain Jim, because you're still here in the studio. Is what is the youngest age child that you'll bring on your boat, obviously accompanied by their parent? Well, it is, it is up to the parent. Um, my son started fishing on my boat at two and a half years old. All right. I get that's, That was my question. I got a two-year-old, so we'll see what happens. Okay. He, he turns two in June. <laughs> the one thing that I always say when people want to bring children on the boat, you understand that that child is the person that runs that trip. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so true. thankfully, you know, I've been blessed to be able to take my son fishing since that age. When he's done, he's done. I'll just let you. The one warning I give is good. I've had 45 minute fishing trips, <laughs> you know, so that's the one thing I like to tell people is, you know, your child best if they're, you know, you know, if they're ready for it. And if I can give you the best primer, have a lot of food for him have like his favorite toy, have those things that, you know, you can give him to him or her. I guess, because, his, I guess his mom's coming then. Yes. But, <laughs> you know, that's the that's thing awesome. is people, people, you know, they, they, they want to, you know, I've had people want to go grouper fishing nine hours long and bring a five-year-old. Oh, yeah. And I try to steer them away from that. But on a little, you know, half-day charter on there, you know, whatever you feel. All right. Awesome. But, well, thank yeah. you. Awesome, man. Well, I'm going to get to some closing stuff here, Gary. I like it. All right. I, th I feel like you had something to say there. I did. Well, you just, re you just refrained. I don't know. I was thinking about making some bad jokes <laughs> in the midst of that dialogue about, but then I decided, you know what? I'm, I'm a little heavy on bad jokes at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> no need to go heavy at the end of the podcast. So oh, you you sense correctly but I am now at a disciplined point in my life where I am not going to just give in. <laughs> All right. Perfect. <laughs> just want to remind you really quickly uh, how to listen to our podcast, how to get it. Uh, once again, you can get on Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, 
and also go check out our YouTube channel where you can see some video um, as well. And be sure to share this, like it, share it with your friends, your family, uh, your other fishing buddies. Also check out, and we're getting ready to launch some more stuff with this, but check out our Patreon uh, link. It's right here if you're watching YouTube or even on the podcast, uh, a way for you to get involved with us uh, in a way to be a part of our community. So we haven't finished all the details, but just wanted to put that out there as well. So yeah, Gary, and, and then another shout out to Marine Warehouse for making this episode possible. Yeah, man. Love Marine Warehouse. And again, I'm going to I'm going to be advantageous. Marine Warehouse, you know, is a longtime sponsor of the Spanish Mackerel Open. They fish the event. That's one thing I love about Marine Warehouse crowd is they don't just sponsor events. They fish with us. So I'm very much hoping that Emmett and family, you know, come out and fish with those of you who are listening to me now, June 12th to 14th. Um, fishing out of Wrightsville Beach. Please check out more details on the Fisherman's Post webpage. Awesome. I mean, I think that's a wrap, Gary. Thank you, Billy. Awesome. Fisherman's Post.